Um, good evening, everyone. Um, welcome to Europe House. Uh, it's nice to see you. My name is Graham Henderson. I'm the Chief Executive of Poets in the City, and it's uh, delightful to welcome you this evening to the second in our Contemporary European Poetry series. Um, and uh, we're very honoured and, and delighted uh, this, this evening uh, to uh, uh, welcome Naomi Esther Plotkin, who's uh, the uh, uh, one of the most uh, famous and, and uh, successful Dutch poets, and it's a great honor to have you here this evening, Esther. Um, this series has been, uh, uh, been a wonderful series to be involved with. Um, it's in partnership uh, between ourselves, Poets in the City, and, um, could you hear me? Yes. And, and the UCL School of European Languages, uh, and it's uh, based on, on funding from the uh, Arts and Humanities Research Council, so many thanks uh, to them. Uh, it's, been, it's been particularly uh, nice, this series, because each of the events uh, in the series is being managed by uh, 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 research assistants from UCL um, who are uh, working not only with the poets and on the translations of the poetry, uh, but also uh, in the management and running and delivery of the, and presentation of the event. And uh, this evening, uh, um, I have to say that uh, uh, um, our Stephanie uh, Van Hemart and uh, was it something I said? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Stephanie Van, Hem uh, Van Hemart and uh, uh, Gail Zuckerweis have done an absolutely fantastic job uh, of organising this evening's event. Uh, and uh, I'm going to hand over to them to present uh, the event to you. Uh, and I know uh, that Stephanie will also be interviewing our poet, Esther, as well. Um, so thank you very much for coming, and uh, I hope you enjoy the evening. Thank you, Graham. Can you, everybody hear me? Okay, yes, welcome to the second Contemporary European Poets event, and thank you for coming. I'm Gail Zuckerweis, and I'm working on my PhD in the Dutch department at UCL, and I've also been helping to organize the event for you tonight. Uh, so when I tell people that I'm studying Dutch, it seems like a natural instinct for them to ask me why. Do I have family in the Netherlands, or do I have some other links to the country? I don't. I just find the culture interesting, and then I tell them that I actually find the language fascinating. I find it warm and welcoming. And at that point, people usually look at me like I'm speaking some alien tongue. I can't really offer an explanation for how I experience the language. It just comes down to the fact that I think that people experience language differently. It's about the sounds, the flows, the rhythms, the intonations as much as it is about the words that give language meaning. It's like poetry, and I think that that's why this event is such an extraordinary experience. It's such an interesting way for you to listen to different languages, translations, and poetry. So as Graham said, the UCL School of European Languages and Culture and Poetry in this, and Poet in the City, with the support of the Arts and Humanities Research Council, 
had been fortunate to have some of the best poets from around Europe come to London and read a selection of their poems in collaboration with research students from Selks who have provided translations especially for this event. One of the main objectives of this program has been to give translators the opportunity not only to translate poems on paper, but also for the reason of presentation. It's also provided research students with the opportunity to have firsthand experience in public engagement and event management outside of the context of the university. So tonight, as I'm sure you all know, we'll hear from the phenomenal Dutch poet, Esther Naomi Perquin, and Dutch PhD candidate, Stephanie von Hamer, will be reading her translations of Esther's poems in addition to two translations by David Colmer, who's currently translating Esther's latest volume of poetry. Since her debut publication of Servate and Hausdorff, which means napkins at half-mast, in 2007, Esther has been nominated for numerous awards and honors and has received some of the Netherlands' prestigious honors in poetry. This first collection, which turns normal and ordinary, the normal and ordinary into carefully constructed stories or examinations of the extraordinary, received the debut prize from the poetry journal Hedlichen Konein. It was translated into English, French, and German, and one of the poems, Staatsheim, which means state secret, was translated into the 23 official languages of the European Union. Esther's second collection, Namens de Under, on behalf of the other, which clearly diverges from the previous, addresses the idea of confrontation in a broad sense, in the form of some kind of otherness, for example, in fears or relationships. For this work, she was awarded the Joe Peters Poetry Prize and the J.C. Blome Prize. Esther's latest collection, Cells Inspexy, or Cell Inspections, draws on her experiences as a prison guard and won the 2013 VSB Poetry Prize, which is the most prestigious prize for poetry in the Netherlands. In addition to her poetry collections, Esther was the city poet of Rotterdam for two years. She writes columns for a magazine, works with radio, and also edits a journal. Now I'll hand the floor to my fellow researcher and collaborator on this event, Stephanie, who will speak about the process of translating and the program for this evening. Um, welcome and thank you for braving the grey skies to come over here. As Gail has mentioned, I'm Stephanie van Gemert. I've got a background in Dutch linguistics and literature, and I'm writing up my PhD in the comparative literature department at UCL. Um, I work a lot on English and Dutch literature, especially post-colonial, and I very much enjoy um, nomadic aspects of novels and poetry that is literature that moves in between cultures and not so much intercultures but across cultures. And I think the idea of translating is especially nomadic. I therefore feel very glad I've been invited to work on this project. When translating, I received a lot of advice from my PhD supervisor, my um, Professor Jane Fanolet, and her comments have been very, um, very helpful. And I'd like to say thank you to a very good translator and a very good mentor. Um, Esther's poetry has actually been translated into English previously by uh, David Cormer and Paul Vincent. 
and their translations are available online, so they're on the Poetry International website if, you, um, if you'd like to have a look. And I'll read out, as Gail said, I'll read out one of David Cormer's translations later, so you might hear a difference in style or tone. Um, I've translated one poem of Jane, Gail, and I really liked that had already been translated by um, Paul Vincent. And I don't believe this idea of multiple translations is in any way problematic. I think the more translations, the merrier, the richer the poetry landscape. Um, every reader, every translator will perceive a poem differently and will approach it in a different way. I've actually been lucky enough to get very familiar with Esther's poetry throughout this project. And there's this old experience when you're translating someone's words, especially when they're as thought through and refined and refreshing as Esther's, you feel like you're crawling into someone's head and getting very close to them. Um, so it was a pleasure to, then to finally meet you today, Esther. Um, and thank you for coming all the way over here. Um, just a quick note on how the evening will proceed. Um, no, not everything will be in Dutch. So Esther will read her poetry in Dutch. I will read uh, the English translations. And we'll stop a few times in between readings to have a short discussion about um, as aspects of Esther's poetry, aspects of translating. Um, and after that words, there will be time for, um, for Q&A. And we'll end with one last poem. We haven't really picked that last poem yet, but I think we'll pick, pick up on it um, and take your cues. Um, please do not get too distracted by that screen up there. We, we thought it would be helpful to project the poems on there, but I think Esther's poetry very much stands on its own. And I think if you speak Dutch or if you don't speak Dutch, I think it will be, um, you can just surrender to the sound and the rhythm of it, I think be a quite enjoyable experience to be read out to. Um, Esther also has taken a bit of a mentoring role throughout this whole process. She's been very understanding and very gentle in giving me um, her comments or uh, adjustments, ideas, ideas for adjustments. So I just wanted to ask you, Esther, to start off with, um, what do you think is the value of poetry in translation? First of all, I'd like to say I'm honored to be here. It's my uh, first time in London. Uh, I almost was uh, hit by a, a big double-decker bus. <laughs> uh, it should have been a good way to die, but um, hope that, well, I, I escaped uh, by an inch. Um, I was asked this um, a few times today, what, what is the value of the, of the translations? Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a great honor to be allowed to have a second life in another language, have a, another voice added to the voice um, you live with, you have to live with your own voice, and then you get another one. Um, so helps you um, it helps you to become somewhat 
um, artificially maybe, it helps you to become uh, a better poet than you really are. Um, because in another language you can read yourself for the first time and it doesn't sound like you because it, it isn't you. I really believe a good translation is in fact a new poem. The material you build it with uh, was, was maybe um, thought up by someone else, but you have to build it yourself as a translator and you did an excellent job um, doing that. Um, so I always uh, felt deep admiration for the resourcefulness of translators and the way they um, hide you inside the trunk and drive you across the border and then you pop out. <laughs> no way we can hide you. <laughs> um, I think there's something interesting here because you speak English so well and um, probably like other people of our generation grew up with English pop songs and programs and I was just wondering that in any way affected your approach to being translated into English and speaking generally here also about the other translations that were made of your, your work? Um, I, I try very hard to, um, um, when a, a translation is made, and uh, especially with David Colmer, I've worked a lot with him, um, he used to send the first draw and it was uh, excellent. It was almost um, without without mistakes, without hiccups, without. Um, sometimes he just had one question, or I should I I, I uh, would point out that something was meant ironically, or um, just very small um, things. But the the, the big risk is um, as it is for I think all of the Dutch. Um, English sounds um, close by. It sounds like you can reach it, but it's far more rich and it's far more full of connotations you have absolutely no idea about. Um, so the risk is um, that you, you think you can uh, have an opinion about the translation, um, but you should be very, very humble and modest as a poet uh, confronted with a good translation. Um, and you should take other one's word for it, especially when it's a good translator. I mean, that uh, you can figure that out quite easily. Um, I've never thought of my English as being that good, but um, I, I, I'm just very glad I can understand the basics, and I can uh, read the poem and understand if it sounds properly or if it sounds properly to my opinion. Did you talk all, to all the 23 translators of your one poem that wasn't translated into all the European languages? No, I, I haven't. Uh, I think I, I read them all. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I've spoken to two or three of them. Um, but, but a friend of mine, a Dutch poet, um, at the evening that, that the, the collection of the 23 translations was presented, he got drunk and he uh, went up to the balcony and he read out loud in Brussels uh, all the 23 translations, even though he, he only spoke two of the languages in the world. <laughs> um, 
uh, and it sounded really, really good. It was a, a spectacle. It was uh, it a musical experience. <laughs> experience, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, just one sort of question to set. Like your, like, I just want to read out something from the jury report of the Base Bay Poesie Prize, which Gail already mentioned. It's the most prestigious prize, you, and you won it in January this year, so not that long ago. Um, the jury described your poetry as playful, refined, and subtle, with unexpected turns that often throw the reader off balance. What was your response to receiving the prize? Um, because it's the, the most prestigious prize, uh, there's, no, um, there's no way to... Uh, um, I really would have liked uh, to win it when I was old and ugly and almost forgotten. Um, but it happened quite uh, soon, so um, I was shocked, basically, and um, it was a bit awkward because the, the, the poets that were nominated for this prize were all uh, very good, very well-known, uh, older poets and old men. And um, so it was a bit awkward. I felt a bit awkward. And then um, th there was quite some money involved and I bought a bike, which is a really uh, good way, I think, to, um, celebrate. to celebrate. I bought a bike and it was uh, stolen after three weeks. Um, it was insured though, but um, so that was my response. I felt awkward and then I, bought a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Can we listen to a bit of your poetry? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> They're struggling with mics here. I hope I'm not going to make that awful sound. Um, when I was young, I uh, wanted to become a knight, um, and my brothers uh, said I couldn't, as all uh, brothers should, because uh, that's the way, um, well, it's the way to make you want to try even harder to become a knight. Um, and. Um, I think it skips a generation because I have a, a son who is now six and a half years old and uh, when he was three years old I asked him uh, what he wanted to become when he was grown up and uh, he thought for a very long time and then he said, an old lady with a dog. <laughs> um, this is just to introduce the poem, it's not the actual poem because the actual poem is in Dutch, um, but then you have I think, a, a picture of what it's about. It's about uh, girls with brothers. Grote broer. Geen vader of moeder om ons uit de bomen te halen voor eten of slaap. De klimrijkste zomer in jaren. Ik wilde geen staart, scheurde jurken aan de flarden, raakte met haren in takken verward. Jij haalde een schaar. En ik werd een soldaat. 
Maar het zwaard was zo zwaar en het schild kreeg ik niet van de grond. Je schreeuwde me hoger, ik klom dus en klom, warmte trok in de bomen. Tot diep in de nacht lag jij als een dier op de onderste tak. Er konden geen leeuwen of moordenaars komen. Ik hield voor een meisje uitstekend de wacht. down from the trees for dinner time or that, the climbingest summer in years. I hated my ponytail, tore dresses to rags, cut my hair in the branches, you fetched some scissors, and I became a soldier, but with a sword so heavy and shield, I could not lift off the ground. You yelled me higher, so I climbed and I climbed, warm, soaked into the trees, till deep in the night you lay animal-like on the lower branch. Lions or murderers could not get close. I kept watch pretty well for a girl. Um, I grew up near the seaside. Uh, in the province of Zealand. Um, and all the girls that lived there were uh, very thin and blonde and pretty. Um, and unfortunately, I was not. Um, in fact, um, I looked like a, a, a cross-eyed rabbit. Um, so I spent a lot of time uh, studying them because I naturally uh, thought of them as another species. The girls. Zo handig in hun alledaagse praten rusten zij aan zij een rij van jonge huid en zachte haren in die al te hete zon. Duingras kietelt hun benen en hoog klinkt de pas bedachte lach die meeuwen steeds verschrikt doet overkomen. Van kop tot teen onaangeraakt liggen zij met allemaal dezelfde stem dezelfde moeder te bespreken. Wat ze zoal zijn, telt alle eeuwigheden in hen op. Dat stil en zonbeschenen delen van leeftijd, lichaam, zonnebrand. Maar over het zand lijkt een vreemd steeds lager grommen aan te zwellen en jaagt een rilling door de rij. Elke seconde komen de jongens op onverbiddelijke brommers in grote golven dichterbij. The girls, so skilled in everyday conversing, they rest side by side, a row of young skin and soft hair in a sun that is way too hot. June grass tickles their legs, and high-sounding, the newly invented laugh makes startled seagulls fly by and by. Untouched from tip to toe, there they all lie, with the same voice discussing the same mother. What they are sums up all of their 
eternities, this silent and sunlit sharing of age, body, sun motion. But across the sand, a strange descending growl seems to swell and sends a quiver through the realm. Every second, the boys draw closer on merciless mopeds in rolling waves. Which sounds better in English than it does in Dutch. We should uh, work together. <laughs> um, the next poem, um, th th it, it speaks for itself, I think. Verwachtingen. Je koopt wat kleren voor een lijf dat niet bestaat. Je denkt van binnenuit al ledematen, romp en Gek dat verwachting de lading niet dekt. Er blijft een half statistisch ongeloof. Maar kijk, daar draagt een man bezwering aan. Hij geeft je allerdiepste angst alvast een voetbal en een achternaam. Expectation. You buy some clothes for a body that does not exist. You think from the inside out, limbs, torso, and strange, how expecting does not convey at all, still this half statistical disbelief. But look, here comes a man bearing a charm. He can't wait to give your inmost fear a football and a family name. Vanmorgen werd ik opgebeld door een mevrouw die wilde weten of ik Richard was. Dit was nooit eerder voorgekomen. Veel mensen hebben gewild dat ik iemand was, soms iemand die ik was geweest, soms iemand die ik zou moeten zijn. Kijk eens angstig. Praat als een non. Spring op en neer toen niet één keer een rokje dragen. Maar Richard heeft niemand mij gevraagd. Ondertussen ruist de stilte van twee kanten in een oor. Er is een ander leven voor ik antwoord geef, volop mogelijkheden voor hetzelfde geld dat materiaal waaruit ik besta een andere vorm of naam. Wat als ik ja zou zeggen? Ja, ik ben het, Richard. Bent u dat moeder? Wat is het lang geleden? Zou ik door Richard te worden ook Richard zijn? Inclusief lichaam, ademhaling, geheimen. De manier waarop hij ochtends vroeg zijn veters strikt, houdt hij bijvoorbeeld van pastinaak. Zou zijn moeder de verbinding verbreken, of uit standvastigheid, of uit eenzaamheid, of uit gezelligheid in mijn geloven? 
Is Richard nog in leven of belt zij steeds een ander op? Vraagt ze naar hem omdat wie weet of iemand zegt Richard? Ja hoor, die is boven. Laat niemand haar vertellen dat Richard is verdronken. Dat hij is verdwaald, ontvoerd, verongelukt. Was er niet ergens een feestje? Een man? Heb ik Richard niet alleen gekend, maar zelfs gekust, gesproken, dronk hij wijn, lachten we samen? Nu, precies nu, is het nog mogelijk geen geluid te maken. Op te hangen of met zakjes te gaan kraken alsof we helaas zijn ingesneeuwd, kan u niet verstaan. Ik stel me haar voor. Ze staat in een donkere kamer, kijkt, vragend. Maar ik dan? Waar haal ik op dit uur een Richard vandaan? Mevrouw, de eerlijkheid gebiedt mij u te zeggen dat ik Richard niet ben, nooit ben geweest en niet herken, hoewel onze nummers misschien weinig verschillen. Onze levens zijn gescheiden door het acht en vier en twee. Er zijn mensen met wie ik minder scheel dan geval, maar wie moeders mij niet kennen, niet zullen wennen. U verspilt uw tijd. Ik besta slechts uit halve stemmen, halve gezichten. Geen Richard waardig, geen hond heb ik ooit meer gebracht dan halfslachtige aanwezigheid. Er klinkt een vastbesloten stilte op de lijn. Mevrouw, ik weet niet tot wie, maar ik bid met u mee dat het iemand zal lukken. Dat het iemand zal lukken om Richard te zijn. This morning I received a call from a woman who wanted to know, was I Richard? This had never happened before. People often wanted me to be someone else, sometimes someone who I had been, sometimes someone I should have been. Look more fearful, talk like a nun, jump up and down. Couldn't you wear a dress for once? But nobody ever asked me for Richard. In the meantime, silence rushes on both sides into an ear. Another life exists until I answer. Tons of possibilities. The matter I consist out of could well have had a different shape or name. What if I would say, yes, yes it is me. Richard, is that you, mother? It has been a while. <laughs> would I, by becoming Richard, also be Richard, including body, breath, secrets, the way he ties the shoelaces? Does he, for instance, enjoy turnip? Would his mother disconnect a line, or would she believe me out of perseverance, out of loneliness, out of friendliness? Is Richard still alive, or does she ring round every day? Does she ask for him? Because, who knows, someone may say, Richard, yeah, he just went upstairs. Let no one tell her Richard has drowned, that he's had an accident, got lost, been abducted. Wasn't there a party somewhere? A man? Have I not only known Richard, but even kissed him, chatted with him? Did he drink wine? Did we laugh together? Now, right now, there's still a chance to keep absolutely quiet. 
to disconnect or start rustling plastic bags as if, sorry, we got snowed in, I cannot hear you. I can imagine her. She's in a dark room, a question mark on her face. But what about me? Where would I find a Richard at this hour? My dear lady, honesty commands me to tell you that I am not Richard, have never been, and would not recognize him. Even though our numbers may hardly differ, our lives are separated by an eight, a four, a two. There are people from whom I differ less than a number, but their mothers do not know me, will never call. You are wasting your time. I merely exist out of partial voices, partial faces, not worthy of a Richard. Not a dog have I ever brought more than hesitant, semi-present. A resolute silence echoes down the line. I would not know to whom, my dear, but I pray along with you that someone will succeed, that someone will succeed at being Richard. about what this would be a good moment to break um, before we go to the other poems and I think it will be come clear later why. Um, your work has often been referred to as poetry of everyday life and mentioned in relation to Copland or Herzberg, poets who would use clear and very simple language to discuss everyday aspects such as being in a bus crossing a river or looking at a garden of rows of lattices. Um, at first sight, your language indeed seems simple and straightforward, but you play a lot with word order and rhythm and rhyme, and that's something I picked up when translating. Um, is this something you feel that translators in general have worked with in your poetry? And rhythm, sound, and is that something you would juggle with or you juggle with when you're reviewing your poems in translation? I think, uh, well, translating poetry is one of the uh, hardest things, hardest things to do. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very complicated. Um, and I noticed that uh, a lot of the rhyme and uh, rhythm um, it's too Dutch. I mean, it's it's literally too Dutch. It, it's it's intranslatable, um, but it's that's not. Um, it doesn't bother me at all uh, because it it gains so much, uh, and and it gets such a new uh, rhythm and such a new um, form of rhyme. In English, and sometimes it sounds so uh, natural. It, it could have been written in English, um, so it doesn't bother me um, that way. Um, am I answering your question? I think 
think you are. I, I actually would be quite curious to hear, you know, when we're talking sound and rhythm and rhymes, and then at this event, like, what do you think is the difference then between writing poetry and with a reader in mind, or would you always write your poetry with an audience in mind, or is that a live audience? Because I think, you know, at a live poetry event, could you reflect on that for me? I think I, I never write uh, with, with anyone in my mind. Um, my writing has always been uh, an attempt to um, get rid of my own tracks. I mean, I, I want to make it clean, leave it clean, and um, so I'm very cold and precise about writing. I don't want to see my, um, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure of the correct English word here, um, my fingerprints. I don't want to see my fingerprints anywhere on the poem. So it should sound like it was already there, and I um, grabbed it. I just I, I want it to sound completely um, it shouldn't have anything to do with me. I'm trying to get rid of me when I'm writing. It's it's one long attempt to wipe out myself. Something like that. Um, or does that sound does, really strange? Does it work? Um, I think in the best uh, poems, I, I, I think I have written three or four poems where it worked. Um, and, and all the others, um, I failed uh, doing uh, exactly that. But it, it's, it's almost impossible because you're stuck to yourself and that's, that's the, one of the constant struggles in my, in my poetry and also in my life, I think. Um, the struggle with not being able to erase myself and just be, uh, I mean, watch without having an opinion, listen without thinking something else, um, listening to language without connotations, without thinking, without, um, it's something I struggle with. I would love to be a completely, um, a presence that is not noticed. I think it's a very interesting thing that Asta said, I'm very good at feeling guilty. Sort of this approach towards poetry is like erasing yourself from all guilt. Um, very interesting. Um, and guilt sort of kind of naturally leads us into this question about, I think Gil mentioned it quickly, but Asta worked for a while as a prison guard. Um, and in your last, volume of poems, you, you work with the theme of prisoners and prison guards. I just wanted, before we start reading again, I wanted to ask you about that theme, prison, prison guards, criminality. Uh, and I read a review and there was someone who said, well, Esther's language is too poetic to be dealing with these low themes. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask your response to that because I read it and I thought this um. hilarious. I, I've, I've uh, read a few things uh, like that, mostly coming from um, very romantic people, I think. It's a very romantic image to look at prison and think of evil, black, dark um, things. 
uh, that's not my intention. Um, and it's not very realistic. Uh, but more important, it's not very interesting. Uh, but of course, when you, when you think of prison, you think of uh, dark and evil things. Um, but that's not my point of view. And it's uh, because it wouldn't take any effort uh, to go in and write something like that. Um, I was there for four years, more than full time. Um, I, I spent a lot of nights and days in prison. Uh, I, I've gotten to know a lot of um, young men, older men, uh, were staying there because it was a men's prison. Um, I was asked quite often, why didn't you work at the female prison? Um, because they think it must be hard for a woman to work in a men's prison. Well, it's, it's absolutely not. I should set that uh, straight. Um, because men in prison are um, basically um, evil and stupid, while uh, female prisoners are evil and smart. Um, it's just a, a very hard job. So um, I, I like the men's prison very, um, very. Um, I, I, I actually had a, a very pleasant time there as well, and a sad time. But it took me quite a few years to uh, wash the uniform of my skin and make the movement inside their heads. Because as long as you work as a prison guard, you're not allowed too much empathy with the other side of the bars. You have to stay at your side. You're the good guy, they're the bad guys. You have to get that straight and, and remember that. Even if it's not true, uh, and it is not true, of course, it's very much more complicated than that. Um, so my collection about prison was an attempt to fix something um, because it, it, I worked there for four years going against my character and I wanted to fix that and set something straight and um, I can imagine um, a few um, I had a, a few more remarks like, like that one you just um, quoted. Um, someone else said I was writing too uh, sweet about uh, criminals and uh, there was even someone who said um, I was, um, I was, I was, what's the correct phrase, I'm not sure, I was, um, I was allowing uh, criminal activities by writing oh, things okay. like this. Okay, maybe you should allow a bit more criminal activity. Could you read us one of those poems? Yes. shooting in a supermarket. I was really writing about it, a shooting uh, at a high school. It was one of the themes I wanted to um, 
write about. Um, but a high school shooting um, it, it is, is for me too hard to imagine. It's very unlikely to happen uh, in the Netherlands. Um, so I picture a supermarket shooting, which is also very unlikely to happen. But the moment, uh, the, the morning I finished the poem, um, someone woke up, coincidentally, and went to the supermarket, and there was a shooting. And this was uh, a frightening coincidence. Uh, it, it was quite scary to write a poem about something that never happened, and the same day it takes place. You feel like God um, in, in a very, Scary way. Bart V. Er waren mensen bij die naar me keken. Een kleuter met een ijsje, een vrouw met een tas waar prei uitstak. Er was een man die net zijn leegspiel uit zijn zak tevoorschijn haalde vanwege een boodschappenlijstje. En ook na afloop hield hij hem vast. Later leer je dat je genoeg moet vergeten om ruimte te maken voor wat er nog komt. Er volgen altijd vragen in donkere kamers bij knipperend licht. Dus je doet wat je weet uit het zicht. Naar straffeloos terrein waar geleerden elkaar de haren in vliegen. Ik hoor ze woelen op papier elkaar verwijten maken. Er waren mensen die tijdens het rennen met hun schoen bleven haken achter een randje en daarom de deur niet haalden. Een meisje dat ach liever riep. Ach, liever. Ze lachte heel even. En daarna viel ze neer, alsof ze een jas was geweest die ineens van een hangertje gleed. Part B. There was something stared at me. A toddler with an ice cream. A woman holding a bag with leaves sticking out. There was a man who just taking his reading glasses out of his pocket because of a grocery list. And afterwards he was still holding on to them. Later on you learn that you should be glad enough to make space for what is yet to come. Questions will always follow in dark rooms with flickering lights. So you push what you know out of sight towards safe territory, where experts will fight like cats and dogs. I hear them wrangling on paper, blaming each other. There were some who, as they ran, caught a shoe against an uneven tile and therefore did not make it to the door. A girl who screamed, oh darling, oh darling, she very briefly smiled, and then she fell as if she'd been a trench coat that had suddenly slipped of its hanger. to me because it's, um, I had a, a, a very um, um, 
heavy discussion about this poem with a fellow poet who said, I was writing this um, about creeps, and creeps are never normal men. And I said, um, that's not true. A lot of creeps are very normal men. Um, it's, and and uh, we were uh, emailing about this subject, and the emails got longer and longer, and it took us, I think, for weeks and weeks. Um, and about that time, um, after a search of 10 years, uh, a rapist was caught in the north of the Netherlands. Um, they have been, had been searching for this man for a very long time, and um, it turned out to be a very um, well-respected, completely normal man with a happy family life, and uh, who had just been a creep for one night of his life. Um, and then the email conversation stopped. The poem is called uh, David H. Omdat ik haar gezicht veel beter heb gekend dan zij het mijne. Ik liet haar eerst een klein beetje verdwijnen, daarna steeds meer, tot ook ik niet zeker wist waar ze gebleven was. Omdat ik haar veel beter heb bekeken dan zij mij, en omdat ik meer begreep van ons omdat haar gezicht mij vaak zo helder bijstaat, twijfel ik soms of ze mijn ogen gezien had als ik haar niets had gevraagd. Of ze had bestaan als ik haar door had laten rijden. Natuurlijk was het liefde, maar liefde is toch niet in staat te liegen. Gilt niet als je zegt wees stil, raakt geen adem kwijt en bindt mij nergens aan. Liefde ligt voor je en luistert. Echte liefde wil altijd. Wat dat betreft weet ik nu beter. Ik zou haar niet zo hebben aangekeken. Ik zou haar anders hebben lief gehad. Niet gehaast met beide handen om haar hals, maar aandachtig, droevig, zacht. much better than she did mine, I let her disappear a little bit by bit, and then a bit more, until even I wasn't sure anymore where she had gone. Because I studied her much better than she me, and because I understood more of us, because her face springs so clearly to my mind, I sometimes wonder if she would have seen me if I hadn't asked her anything, if she would have existed, if I had let her pass by. Of course it was love, but love surely isn't capable of lying, does not scream when you say, quiet now, does not run out of breath, does not tie me down. Love lies down in front of you and listens. Real love is always ready. In this regard, I know better now. I would not have stared at her like that. I would have loved her in another way, not hastily with both hands around her neck, but attentively, sadly, softly.
up, its upside. Um, and um, one of the nice things about prison is uh, all the things you can do when you wear the uniform. And everyone accepts that you are the good guy and that the bad guy must be the other one and he deserves everything he gets. Um, so this is a poem about power, powerlessness. 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 It's a nice word. Um, it's, it's not as good as Ben Boomsol. Dat is nice. Legale activiteiten. Wakker maken aan het begin van de nacht en om dromen vragen. Als ze zeggen dat ze die nog niet hebben gehad omdat je ze wakker maakte, een klap. Als ze beginnen te huilen over hun haren naar beneden aaien tot ze aan hun moeders denken, dan zeggen dat hun moeders niet meer zullen komen. Als ze hun hoofden op hun armen laten rusten, heel lang zwijgen. Als ze dan in slaap zijn, wakker maken en om dromen vragen. Als ze hun dromen vertellen, luisteren en uitleggen dat zulke dingen niet bestaan. Dan de orde van de dag, dan weer van begin af aan. Op de luchtplaats laten lopen en af en toe het geluid van een geweerschop maken. Oefenen tot je vlakt boven hun hoofden een trage duif in zijn vlucht kunt raken en ze die duif laten begraven. Of er eentje op zijn rug draaien en met veldstift omtrekken op het matras en laten opstaan om naar zichzelf te kijken. Vragen of ze de omtrek niet op iemand vinden lijken. Vragen wie dat was. Activities. Wake them up at the start of the night and ask for dreams. If they say they haven't had any yet because you've woken them up, slap. If they start to cry, stroke their hair until they think of their mothers. Then say their mothers aren't coming anymore. If they rest their heads on their arms, keep quiet for a long time. When they fall asleep, wake them up and ask for dreams. If they tell you their dreams, listen and explain that such things do not exist. Then go to the order of the day and start again from the beginning. Put them in the exercise yard and make the sound of a gunshot. Practice until you can hit a slow pigeon in flight, just over the heads, and have them bury the pigeon. Or turn one over onto his back and draw an outline on the mattress with a marker and make him stand up to look at himself. Ask them if the outline reminds them of anyone. Ask them who. by David Coleman. I was meant to say that at the start. Um, you know what, Esther, I, we planned
time to sit down for a bit, but I think maybe we just want to go on and keep reading. Now we get to the fun part, finally. Um, in my first collection, I uh, didn't write uh, anything about love. Um, I'm, I'm not really good at um, love and writing about it. Um, I fixed that in my second collection by including uh, a love poem, um, which I'm going to read for you, and it's called You Are Not the One. Jij bent de verkeerde. Je bent de verkeerde altijd geweest en je bent het ontegenzeggelijk nog steeds. Van liefde hou ik nu, dat heb ik nooit gedaan. Ik ben bij je gebleven omdat ik dit zo zeker weet. Het staren in de ogen van de ander, de oninwisselbare, die altijd iets doen moet, weg moet, bewegen. Met jou heb ik vanaf de eerste dag geweten dat het niet zou gaan. Dat ik na een avond of wat goed bedoelde gesprekken, gedoe bij volle maan, wel op zou houden. Dat deed het ook. Het hield op. Het blijft maar ophouden. Dagelijks minder gevaarlijk, onverschilliger, taaier. De ander, dat wil zeggen, Parijs, het echte leven. De mensen in reclames, de nachten en de hel. Misschien hou ik van je, zolang ik dit nog onvervreemdbaar meen. Dit te alle tijden veiligstel. You are not the one. You are not the one, have never been, and without a doubt, still aren't. Love, I do not like, I never did. I always knew for sure, so I stayed with you. Gazing into the eyes of the other irreplaceable one who always has to do, has to leave, to move. With you, I knew right from day one that it wouldn't work that after a night or two of well-meant conversations, full moon stuff, it would stop. That would be it. That was it. It kept on stopping every day, less dangerous, more indifferent, dogged. The other, that is Paris, real life, people in commercials, the nights, and Hell. Maybe I love you as long as I still believe this unshakably. Still, safeguard this for all time. For someone who started life looking like a cross-eyed rabbit, um, I, uh, I, I turned out all right. Um, but there's always something that bothered me. Um, 
becoming a woman and not a knight, uh, because I never learned uh, walking on high heels. I just can't. I look like a transvestite that's practicing. Um, it's really awful. I, I fall. Um, so this poem is about uh, my longing to be a real woman. En toen zei ze, één keer verleidelijk zijn. Eén avond heupwiegend slagen in willekeurig welke expeditie op borstkas en driedelig pak afgras in de hand. Eén keer binnenlopen met adem benemen, decolleté en alle hoofden in glanzend showballet dezelfde kant op zien draaien. Overhemden knoop voor knoop af laten glijden, boeken ontritsen, adem opjagen. Eenmaal langs de tafels gaan en gesprekken doorstokken, blikken bevriezen. En moe zijn van ogen waarin mijn gezicht, monden waarin mijn naam steeds vooraan, handen waarin ik raak onderverdeeld. En daaraan te willen ontsnappen en statig vertraagd uit het licht de trap af op naaldunne. just once, one evening of hip-swaying success on a random expedition towards torso and three-piece suit, glass in hand. To make an entrance, just once, with breathtaking cleavage and sea overheads turning towards the same place in a dazzling chorus line. To make shirts slip off, button by button, Unzipped trousers, eastern heartbeats, just once to pass by tables and silence conversations, hold gazes. And to be tired of eyes in which my face, tips of tongues in which my name, hands amongst which I am shared. And to long to escape this, and poised, slowly, out of the spotlight, down the stairs on stiletto thin heels. I think we should leave it there. <laughs> Follow that. <laughs> Referring to that poem, you play a bit with sexually defined stereotypes, and I think the first one we read out about the big brother and the girl, who's very aware at a very young age about what it means to be a boy and what it is to be a girl, um, it's a very interesting image. Um, and the Dutch feminist magazine, Opsai, actually described Esther as a young female poet who's making way for herself. I hope you can hear the inverted comments there. Um, could you say something about writing poetry as a woman? Um, I, I'm still not sure what my, um, what my 
position is about the male and female issue. Um, I happen to be a girl, um, and I'm a girl in in in, in very um, in a, in a lot of ways. I get lost all the time, uh, for instance, and I can't throw a ball. Um, but apart from that, I'm um, I'm I'm very um, I get along with men uh, often uh, easily, much more easily than with women, uh, because I don't like the way uh, women are, are 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 taught to split themselves up. Uh, they have to split themselves up. There is a, 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 a version of them that is always. Um, they have more layers. It's it's um, they're not completely honest. They can't be completely honest, uh, and I and I understand uh, because I have exactly the same behavior. Um, but I, I I keep noticing this, and one of the things if you want to fit in with with the girls is you have to act like you don't notice this. So if someone says to you that you look amazing and you you notice that she means something else, but you have to act like you actually believe what is said. And I have a hard time uh, doing that. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's one part. I'm, um, Someone asked me once, do you hate men? And I, uh, I said, no, I, I just hate people, uh, basically. That's <laughs> not true. I'm, I'm, uh, um, it's, it's impossible to, uh, to, to, to pick the better gender. There's a lot wrong with, with all of us uh, constantly. Um, but you asked me about writing as a woman. Um, I think the, the first time I noticed I was being read as a woman was when my latest collection about the prison turned up. Uh, we just talked about this. Uh, most of the, the critics uh, were men, and um, although they were very um, uh, positive, uh, uh, very complimentive, um, complimentive, is that the word? Complimentive. Um, about uh, the collection, they also kept um, repeating. I was so uh, empath empathetic, empathetic and um, um, so kind and so understanding. And, um, and then two fe female critics wrote about the collection and they said it's a slap in the face, it's brutal, it's violent, it's cruel. <laughs> uh, it's... it's um, it's tender, but it's cruel. It's very cruel. It, that, that was completely uh, opposite way of looking at it. And I thought um, that was the first time I noticed this being a woman thing uh, suddenly um, influences the way they read. And, and I'm sure a man would have written, um, maybe would have written differently about prison. But... Um, there's no way you, you could tell. I, I, I'm not sure if a man would ever work in prison and then become a poet. It, it's it's uh, coincidentally, and it, I, I never planned it like that. But, so um, I think this is, was, for me, it was the only interesting way to um, 
to handle the subject is to try and make the distance between normal and evil as small as possible. And there's also a bit of peeling of layers there of the, the criminals and the, yeah. Um, I think we've all noticed this, but you have a real sense of humor and I love the images you've used. I think the one with the exercise yard and the pigeon I particularly like. Um, and there's a bit of contrast there and content and the sense of humor. And I, I wanted to know how does your, how does this sense of humor creep into your work or how does the humor, the fun creep into your work? Is that something that you consciously work on? Or? Um, no, it, it has a lot to do with, um, I just think like that. Um, I sometimes wake up, there's a, a, a one, one of the poems in the latest collection is about what my husband should do if I get lost again and no one finds me. And uh, it's a very yeah. practical instructions. Uh, Did you get lost? I get lost a lot, but not that long. Um, and one of the things it says is if you notice that there's someone not laughing beside you in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, because I, I, I even in my sleep, sleep <laughs> I start laughing because I think of something and it's, um, um, I can't imagine not making uh, jokes. Maybe it's, it's, it's also my, my father died when I was very young. My mother was alone with four children. Uh, there wasn't a lot of money. Um, so the only thing we could do was um, in, invent a reason to laugh. And uh, we're, we're all very uh, good at that. I think we always have a reason to laugh, even if it's. Uh... Well, that's a talent. Um, I just wanted to open it up to the floor and see if you have any questions for Esther or requests. Or... Can we do this without a mic, or, or would you? Do you want to pour one? I get the sense that you're not very into sort of moonlit romance, and uh, um, uh, and that's I find that very interesting. I mean, it, it, when you do you think in your poems you're trying to sort of dispel illusions? I mean, you're, they're literally disillusioning poems, aren't they? In the sense of trying to see the reality underneath things. Is that is that part of your approach? Um. Well, uh, when it comes to love, um, then I, uh, I, I, I know how I react if I fall in love. And it's, I mean, I, I fall so deep and it takes me so long to hit. The, it's, it takes ages um, and I completely um, melt. It's, it, I always try to sound, uh, and I've worked for years, to sound somewhat intelligent, and then I get I fall in love, and then I sound like a drooling um, ape. I mean, it's uh, so I that's that's, but it's uh, it's a fear of um, it's a fear of well, that's the struggle again. It's a fear of uh, losing myself, and it's the longing of 
or for or getting rid of myself at the same time. Thank you. Um, any other questions? It's just a detail. <laughs> I wanted to know why uh, um, it was translated in that way when you said, uh, why didn't you wear a rocket? rocket? And in uh, English it was, why didn't you wear a dress? Why the change from a rocket into a dress? Oh. What is rocket? It's a skirt. Short skirt. Oh. Um, I don't know. I will have to reread that. I think that was um. Didn't you wear a dress once? Maybe that's something I always said. Yeah. There was it a, could have probably something to do with the sound. I think it did because we said before. I can look back for you. We can talk about it later. But I that's a very, very well observed. Were you comparing the two? Yeah. I started imagining. I yeah. Uh, Maybe it's in English, and because the Scots wear sometimes skirts. No, it wasn't a very <laughs> conscious decision, but what I did is I read out Esther's poems in Dutch, and then I read them out in English. And I often, there were a few times when I changed the word, and I, did I didn't discuss this one with you, but I did discuss some with you. Um, there was, for example, one where I said, instead of, so Esther says, does Richard, so Richard is, the guy who should have been on the phone. Does Richard eat pastinac? Do you know what pastinac is? It's parsnip. It is parsnip. But no one in Holland would eat parsnip. Where here it's such a, so it sounded like this curiosity. It was like a very, and then we decided we change it to turnip. Because you'd have parsnip here. So I explained, I, Esther and I were just talking about that. One of the decisions I did because it didn't sound exotic enough. <laughs> yeah, pastinac in Dutch sounds very exotic. I, for example, have never eaten pastinac in Holland, but I've eaten it many times. I love pastinac. Two things. Uh, one is you use the only Dutch word I know, which is adding the name in, oh. uh, which I. Um, and the other thing is, would it be better if you gave the English translation first, so we knew what the thing was about before you read it in Dutch? Mm. Um, I, 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 um, I had a discussion about um, the order in which the poems should be read uh, a while ago, while I was reading in uh, Brighton a few weeks ago, and uh, there's a lot to say for first reading the English version, so people can listen um, to the Dutch version, knowing what it's about. Um, but David Colmar, the translator uh, who was there, um, he said, um, if people listen to the Dutch without knowing what it's about, they enjoy the sounds. They're not searching for um, what they know, um, should be translated. So they enjoy it on another level, and then they get the, the, the communicative version, the, the talking version. Uh, and he said to him that was the best order. Um, but you could do it the other way around. It, it, I think it's, it has its benefits and it has its, what's the opposite for benefit? 
Disadvantages. Wow, that's that's almost like bamboozle. Disadvantages. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. Uh, I've noticed, um, and maybe this is because of the family I grew up in, uh, just my mother and my brothers. Um, it was a, a bit of a democracy. My mother wasn't able to be and father and mother at the same time and doing it by herself. So she just, it was a very democratic family. And there was one thing we were taught, and it was never to be sure. So we uh, were trained to doubt constantly, uh, which is um, not very easy for children because they have to have something to hold on to. It, it wasn't easy, but um, I think there's still something of that left in me. And every time I have an opinion, I feel uncomfortable with it. I try to, to throw it overboard. And um, can you say that in English? Um, so I think it's, it has a lot to do with when it feels too comfortable, I know I have to get rid of it. Um, well, it's the same way I handle love, it's the same way I handle life, that's, uh, that's how I handle writing, it uh, shouldn't get too comfortable. Um, otherwise I'm a very happy person. And, and <laughs> something to that last list of yours because what I find very particular about your poetry is your use of language which is never quite comfortable sometimes it's not ungrammatical and yet it's not quite grammatical or sometimes you feel there's a little bit missing or the clauses don't fit together exactly as one would expect them to so I don't know if it's a question for you, Esther, or for Stephanie, but first of all, do you think this is a characteristic of, of the way you write, and is it linked to this discomfort business? And Stephanie, how do you feel translating it? Well, I, I, to me, it's one of the biggest compliments I ever uh, had, because most of the critics uh, were um, not very pleased with my work. Um, they all said, um, it, it's all right, it's good quality, but it's too neat, it's too tidy, it's too... Um, and you're, what I understand, you're, you're saying almost the opposite. Um, maybe there's a, a difference between um, intelligent women um, and <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, I, I think it's a compliment, and I, it's, it's something that if I had any attentions, uh, that would be definitely one of them. But I would, I would like to add that thanks to 
that, it's surprisingly fresh, or freshly surprising. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 I could hear it in your translations um, for the first time how it, how I think it would sound if it was, it didn't, doesn't uh, feel like my poetry. In, in, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Really, really good translations because there it's, were. Um, yeah, it sort of enables a fresh look for you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because what I mostly picked up on is like the word order and how that doesn't really work in English. So in English, you can't change the word order that often. And um, there's one bit, and we actually discussed it with not a dog um, have I ever given. Um, and I think it worked out quite well because it's sort of dangling at the very end of the line. Um, but yet, I think that's one of the things I struggled with. And I think you play with that a lot and you push it to a sort of boundary. But in Dutch it almost sounds almost symmetrically, but it is. It works perfectly well and I can really see that you structure that very well. It's <laughs> craft it's craftsmanship and yeah. Um, will we do one more just to round round it off? Yeah. Which one do you think? Does, does someone have a preference to hear one of the poems again? Any request? <laughs> the girls? Well, I, I felt people enjoyed that one and I... Because it's about yeah. skinny, pretty, blonde girls. No, I think they enjoyed the intervention at the end. Alright. Um, Zo handig in een alledaagse praten rustte zij aan zij. In de rij van jonge huid en zachte haren in die al te hete zon. Duingras kietelt hun benen en hoog klinkt de pasbedachte lach die meeuwen steeds verschrikt doet overkomen. Van kop tot teen onaangeraakt liggen zij met allemaal dezelfde stem, dezelfde moeder te bespreken. Wat ze zal zijn, telt alle eeuwigheden in hen op. Dat stil en zonbeschenen delen van leeftijd, lichaam, zonnebrand. Maar over het zand lijkt een vreemd steeds lager grommen aan te zwellen en jaagt een rilling door de rij. Elke seconde komen de jongens op onverbiddelijke brommers. In grote golven dichterbij. The girls. So skilled in everyday conversing, they rest side by side, a row of young skin and soft hair in a sun that is way too hot. Junipers tickles their legs and high-sounding, the newly invented laugh makes startled seagulls fly by and by. <laughs> <laughs> 
touch from tip to toe. There they all lie with the same voice discussing the same other. What they are sums up all of their eternities. This silent and sunlit sharing of age, body, sun motion. But across the sound, a strange, descending growl seems to swell and sends a quiver through the road. Every second, the boys draw closer, a merciless mob pass in rolling lakes. <laughs> for European Languages and Cultures and the Dutch Department. I just want to thank you all for coming. Um, Poet in the City is supported by the Arts Council of England, so I just want to draw your attention to the feedback forms on your seat. It would be very helpful and appreciated if you could fill them out. Um, I also want to draw your attention to just two other events on translation that are being run by Poet in the City and the next event in this Contemporary European Poet series, which will be on June 13th, uh, it, which will be French translation, and the poet Pierre Alferi will be here, so I hope to see you all there. Also on Monday, June 17th at King's Place, we'll have an event on the works of uh, Brecht with David Constantine, and it will feature live music and song, and it'll bring to light poetry from one of the 20th century's most important literary figures. So um, if you want more information on any of the upcoming events, you can look at the Poet in the City's website, or you can find them on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I also want to extend thanks personally from the Dutch department to Graham Henderson and Poet in the City, and Stephen Hart from Salks who have offered their guidance and support as we were organizing this event, um, as well as the Dutch Embassy, which has been extremely generous, providing support for this event, making it far better than we could have expected, and also providing us with the potential to publish a volume following up after this event. Um, personally, I want to thank mine and Stephanie's supervisor, Jane, who from the start has been a lifeline up till the very last minute and at every stage in between. Uh, finally, of course, I want to thank Esther for joining us in London and sharing her poems. It's been a wonderful and enlightening experience and an honor and a pleasure working with you. So please join me one last time thanking Esther. Je leest echt schitterend. Je moet gewoon, je moet gewoon, dichter worden of schrijf je eigenlijk zelf gedichten? Ik schrijf, ik nee, nee, maar ik 
het zo'n leuk project. Het was zo leuk voor ons. Je vertelt ook echt. Ik heb het ontzettend leuk zijn over dingen, maar dat hoort. Nee, maar ik viel me heel erg mee. Want je zei goed.